baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. The question of the death penalty of whether or not people deserve to die for their heinous acts. The question really is, do we have the right to kill? That's Governor Gavin Newsom speaking at a press conference in Sacramento earlier this week. Do we have the right to kill? That's a, a deep and existential question. I, I don't believe we do. And because of that belief, the governor on Thursday signed an executive order putting a moratorium on the death penalty. That means that as long as Newsom remains governor, the lives of these 737 Californians awaiting execution will be spared. And we are, as I speak, as I speak, shutting down, removing the equipment in the death chamber at San Quentin. I'm Keith Manconi. This is In Depth. And today on the program, we're going to be discussing the governor's decision to put a halt to the death penalty, as well as the public's reaction to it. Basically, he pulled the rug out from under us and really injured the victims of crime who've, who've waited too, too long for justice already. First up, to get our bearings, I want to welcome onto the program KCBS political reporter Doug Sovereign, who has been covering this story for us since the news of the governor's announcement broke Tuesday evening. Uh, so, Doug, it's already been a few days, but remind us again, how is this policy shift actually being made? It's not correct, as I understand it, to call this an end to the death penalty in California. That's correct. What the governor is doing is using his executive authority to grant a reprieve, essentially, to all 737 people who are awaiting execution in California. He doesn't have the power to end the death penalty. What he can do is commute someone's sentence, which he's not doing yet, or just grant a reprieve, meaning for now they get essentially a stay of execution. That'll last as long as he's governor. He also has ordered the dismantling of the execution chamber at San Quentin, which was taken apart that day and carted off. No more gurney for lethal injection. The gas chamber was shut down uh, and, and ended the um, moving along with the approval of the new lethal injection protocol for executions, which has been in limbo for a number of years. So he has done what he can do through executive order to stop executions, but it doesn't change the law. The law remains on the books. Capital punishment is there. And these inmates will remain locked up at San Quentin. And that's why we point out again and again, this is a policy that will stay in effect as long as Governor Newsom is in office. Now, to set the table uh, a little bit more for the context of the, this, the, the context in which he made this decision, we haven't had an execution in California since 2006, but that could have changed soon. Yeah, and you know, for those who've been around, we remember those well. We had roughly, you know, one a year for a dozen years, and 
you know, you heard a lot of coverage of them on KCBS. We haven't had one since then because uh, there was a dispute over the way the lethal injections were administered. It was cruel and unusual punishment. They've gone back and forth. It's been all kinds of legal battles for for more than a decade. But at this point, they have reached the point where in about a month, Governor Newsom was going to have to sign off on the new lethal injection protocol, the new mix of cocktails to put people to death, as Governor Brown had, had moved that process along. Um, and there are about 25 people on death row who had exhausted all of their appeals, meaning they would come up for execution. And it was likely that some of those might have begun this year. And Governor Newsom, faced with that, those two prospects, realized uh, as he became governor over the last couple of months that he taunted him that he just couldn't do it and he couldn't move it forward anymore. And he told us that is why he made this decision now, as opposed to taking a piecemeal approach and just, you know, commuting a sentence or, or staying an execution as each one came up. All right. Well, now the next logical question is to dig a little bit deeper into what was really motivating Governor Newsom here. But I don't need to ask you for that because... You heard it straight from the horse's mouth this week. Yeah, Governor Newsom had a news conference in Sacramento, and then he called me on the phone uh, to do an interview just with KCBS to explain this thinking a little bit more, what went into it, where he is on this, the evolution of of his position. Uh, And he spoke with KCBS about this major shift in policy. All right. So here is that exclusive interview between KCBS reporter Doug Sovereign and Governor Gavin Newsom. There are some people who feel that you maybe were less than honest during the campaign, although we've all known for a long time that you're opposed to the death penalty. But when you said you would honor the will of the people, implement the law as on the books, et cetera, during the campaign, um, was that disingenuous or is this something that you didn't really think about until until you were actually in office and, and confronted with your responsibilities? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been a consistent advocate for the repeal of the death penalty and was the only statewide official that uh, came out publicly and opposed the two ballot initiatives. Uh, so I think people had a very good sense of where I stood on this issue. And I also uh, respect the fact that uh, the people have spoken on the death penalty and the law has not changed. Uh, this is a moratorium. This is a reprieve. Uh, the only way the law can change is the people uh, change the law. And I hope they move forward in that respect. But the law also states uh, clearly, and I'm abiding by that, that I have the right uh, to advance the reprieve. I have a right to do a moratorium. And I feel very compelled to do so because it's not an abstract question any longer. It's a very real question. Uh, 25 people have exhausted all their appeals. Uh, the protocols on the injections for execution are going through the last phases of adjudication. Uh, and this question is being asked of me much sooner than I ever anticipated. In fact, I didn't know that it would even come up uh, within my first term in office. Given that, why not go even further? You could have commuted their sentences. A reprieve means they're not executed for now, but in theory, you know, a future governor could reinstate those, couldn't he? Yeah, or and she? that's why, and that goes deep to my sensitivity about your first question. I mean, the fact is, a commutation is 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 certainly an additional step, but don't forget, just a, a few months ago, the Supreme Court overturned. Uh, 10 decisions that the governor had made related to commutations and pardons near the end of their term. That was almost without precedent, uh, at least in uh, Governor Brown's term. Uh, They didn't send any notification as to why they did that. We're trying to figure out why uh, they did. And those were not death related. Uh, And so I want to make sure that we have an understanding of where the Supreme Court is on this issue. By the way, uh, the Supreme Court spends a disproportionate amount of time on prosecuting death, which means they don't spend as much time on prosecuting other crimes. 
Uh, and there is a cause and effect. I mean, the fact is $5 billion we've spent since we reinstituted the death penalty. 13 people have been executed. $5 billion uh, is the cost uh, of that process. And I think those dollars could be better invested elsewhere, including freeing up the court's time uh, and allowing more access to justice. So it's not so much that you want to leave a future governor the option of, of of going ahead and executing these people, that it's more that you're not sure legally you could at this point without it being challenged. Well, you have the you, all of these things are challenged. We feel like, yeah, we feel on firm, very firm legal footing as it relates to the right of reprieve. The governor, th those rights are, are enshrined in the Constitution and they're crystal clear. Uh, the question of commutation is slightly more complex. The governor has the right to commutations, but there's a notification requirement uh, back into the districts uh, that the individual was prosecuted. And it requires if uh, the individual that you're commuting has been involved in previous felonies, it requires then concurrence of the Supreme Court. Not in every case, uh, but in a number of cases. So it gets complicated, but it also uh, extends uh, a, a much more controversial and complicated stage uh, in this discussion. That said, I'm uh, happy uh, to pursue further steps, but I want to do it sequentially and I want to do it very thoughtfully uh, and uh, want to make sure that uh, we have a process uh, that is transparent and is as inclusive as possible. So the next step would be to repeal the death penalty, which people have tried to do and failed the last two presidential elections, and clearly uh, Assemblyman Levine intends to try again. Um, how involved will you be? First of all, that would come to your desk. Will you sign that? And how involved would you be in trying to pass it? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't read the actual legislation. I think it's just being introduced. But look, in broad strokes, as someone who's attached myself to two of the previous efforts, I certainly would commit myself to the next effort. Um, Beyond that, look, uh, there are a lot of interim steps we could take uh, even before this goes back to the ballot. Number one, uh, we can consider uh, the next phase, and that is the commutation phase. We can consider the next phase, which is do we prosecute death? Uh, do we uh, continue to move forward as is um, and, uh, and, and spend this more amount of time, not just money, uh, on those prosecutions. And, and those are interim steps. But the most important step for me right now is to generate a public debate anew, is to engage folks to think through the fundamental question that's being asked. Are we a state that wishes to execute one person every single day for the next two years just to clean the decks at San Quentin? Are we a state and are we a people that's willing to execute one person every single week for the next 14 years and join the ranks of Saudi Arabia and North Korea. The vast majority of the free world has abolished the death penalty. The United States remains an outlier with Pakistan, with China, with Iraq and Somalia. I think we could do more and do better. And I think that's the fundamental question that we have to ask ourselves. This is reminiscent of 15 years ago when you became mayor and, uh, to many people's surprise, started marrying uh, same-sex couples. Uh, and I know you've famously told us about how that came to you during the State of the Union. Is this the same kind of thing where it just sort of dawned on you, hey, wait a second, I have a way I, I, I can act on, on, on my beliefs here? Yeah, interestingly, the one major distinction between 2004 and the issues of, of marriage equality and same-sex marriage licenses is that this has been a process for me, a journey uh, over 40 years 
this is an issue that attached itself to my grandfather and cause that was very near and dear to him, to my father, uh, who was very involved uh, as a member of the California Court of Appeals uh, in trying to right the wrongs, as he saw them, of the disparities in sentencing for people of color, for people with wealth and means uh, versus those uh, without that wealth, without that means. Uh, he saw that manifested in front of his courtroom every day. Uh, and now as governor, I'm seeing it manifest as it relates to paroles and commutations that cross my desk where I see people that have committed the same heinous crimes uh, but are not on death row and that are literally being uh, uh, requested for parole. Uh, and I sit there bewildered as why one person uh, that committed a horrendous act uh, is sentenced uh, to life without the possibility of parole, one sentenced to death and one is sentenced to 15 years to life. Uh, and then you notice some similarities. They tend to be people of color. They tend to be people that don't have a lot of wealth. They tend to come from districts that are more conservative and rural parts of the state. And that's an inequality. That's, for me, unacceptable. The justice system is flawed. And the ultimate price someone pays is literally a loss of life. I cannot sleep well at night signing off on that loss of life in a premeditated way. As an eight-year-old girl told me when I was mayor, you tell us, thou shalt not kill, that killing is bad. And yet here we are as a state killing people. Not to trivialize something, you know, so somber by talking about politics, but the political cynic in me wonders if you, you were looking for something bold to do that defines your term the way same-sex marriage did as mayor. Is that ascribing too much Machiavellian strategery no, I think, <laughs> to you? Yeah, look, anyone who's known me over the years has known I've been pretty firm in this point of view, so it should come as literally no surprise to anybody. Uh, if it does come as a surprise, I think that's frankly remarkable to me because it, it, it shows that folks didn't necessarily pay uh, close attention to uh, my my public resolve. Going back, by the way, to my mayoral years, uh, sitting there with Kamala Harris at the time, district attorney in San Francisco, after that tragedy with the Espinosa case, uh, which was very raw and very real as a newly elected mayor, standing with the newly elected DA uh, during that funeral. Beyond that, look, this came to me sooner than I expected. The April date was not something I was considering. Uh, we have to file a brief to extend the injection protocol for executions. I, I thought that wouldn't happen for a few years. Uh, that was happening next month. So I figured we should just call the question. Someone asked me if you were doing this in part to burnish your progressive credentials and your national oh, image. How do you respond to that? I mean, I don't know what more I need to do on that topic. My gosh, I've been pretty out front on a lot of progressive issues for decades, including cannabis legalization and health care reforms. I, I don't take a backseat to many. I, I think that's a, that's a pretty stale point of view, and, uh, and they're missing a deeper point. That was KCBS political reporter Doug Sovereign and his exclusive interview with Governor Gavin Newsom. You're listening to In Depth, our weekly interview program discussing some of the top news stories shaping life here in the Bay Area and beyond. Today, we're examining the governor's decision to put a moratorium on the death penalty. Up next, the governor's decision has been applauded by many of his fellow Democrats. But supporters of the death penalty have voiced strong opposition, supporters like Mark Klass. That's the father of Polly Klass, who was kidnapped from her bedroom in 1993, raped and murdered. Her killer was convicted and sentenced to death, 
And now Mark Class is speaking out against the governor's moratorium. These are individuals who have been sentenced to death by a jury of their peers because their actions were so evil. These are the guys that kill cops. These are the guys that kill women. These are the guys that kill little children. Mark Class speaking to KPIX 5. We are going to dig a little bit deeper into some of the concerns he was giving voice to there. For that end of the death penalty debate, I spoke with Kent Scheidegger. He is the legal director for the Criminal Justice Legal Foundation. That's a group that advocates for the victims of crimes. He told me that the news of the governor's decision really didn't come as much of a surprise to him. Uh, well, I was not shocked by any means. Uh, I've you know, been concerned about this. Uh, a couple of other governors in other states have done similar misuses of the uh, reprieve power. And we have always been concerned that Governor Newsom might do that. From the perspective of uh, victims who have suffered serious crimes, why do you think that it is important uh, for their sake to continue a policy like the death penalty? Because there are some truly horrific crimes for which any lesser penalty is just not justice. And if you really get into the facts of the crimes and don't just accept the sanitized little capsule description, you see that these are truly horrible crimes. These are cases of people who have killed multiple people, who have tortured people, who have sexually violated children. Uh, you know, these are not your garden variety murders. And it's, it's just a travesty that uh, people like Charles Manson, who was a beneficiary of a previous abolition of capital punishment, should be allowed to just live out their lives in prison. What, in your view, is the role of capital punishment, the ultimate punishment in our criminal justice system? Why is it important to maintain, in your view, in our society? Well, there are both uh, retribution reasons and utilitarian reasons. That is, as a matter of basic justice, which is what I was saying earlier, it is wrong to let people off with severely inadequate punishment for what they did. It has a corrosive effect on society generally, if people don't see that the people who do major wrong things are being adequately punished. On the more practical aspects of it, um, there is the deterrence rationale. Um, it's basic principle of human behavior that if you raise the penalty for doing something, there will be some reduction in the number of people who do it. Uh, that's not something that can be proved either way. There is a significant amount of empirical evidence to believe that an enforced death penalty does have a deterrent effect and does save innocent lives. But you still think that criminals would go through that mental process knowing that they're in a society that had the death penalty? Mm -hmm. They would weigh that? Some would. Some not, would. not all, but some, yes. And, and every, every one that does is innocent lives saved. So for a lot of us, I mean, I, I think one of the reasons why this is a difficult conversation to get into is many of us live so distantly from crime. It's really, we, we haven't really thought through these issues because we have not been impacted ourselves. Bring us into the world that you see from, from somebody who's closer to this set of issues. Why, what should we be thinking about? What should we know that we don't necessarily know as, as just the average person that hasn't been touched by this? Well, I think it's important you know, before one makes judgments about punishment, to know the true facts of the case. And uh, there's a very good article today uh, by Marcos Breton in the Sacramento Bee 
about how he wanted to tell the real facts of a horrible crime, and he was not allowed to do so. The editor wouldn't let him. You know, people said, oh, that's offensive. Uh, it was a case of a, a man who, you know, kidnapped and sexually tortured this young boy for 10 hours before he killed him. Uh, and the real facts are far more horrific than that. But you don't get it in, in the newspapers or other media because people think it's, it's too offensive to talk about. But that's what's really happening in these cases. And most of us don't think about it. And that's why support for the death penalty goes up and down with crime rates. Uh, you know, when crime is high, support for the death penalty is high. And when crime drops, support drops. That's the primary factor in, in the support level. Uh, you know, if, if more people are touched by crime, which is a very bad thing, then more people support strong measures to do something about it. I want to go to one of the arguments that was raised uh, by Governor Newsom. I know those things people think is eye for eye, but if you rape, we don't rape. I think if someone kills, we don't kill. We're better than that. Uh, he was saying that we don't rape rapists, so why should we kill murderers? There's just that notion that by committing the very same crime that we're uh, condemning these people for, we are in some way tainting ourselves as a society. Do you see anything to that? That argument goes both ways. Uh, the man who kidnapped J.C. Dugard forcibly took her away and held her prisoner for many years. We punish him by forcibly taking him away and holding prisoner for many years. I have never met anybody who has a problem with that. So it really is not an argument to say that doing to the criminal what he did to the victim is either right or wrong. Um, it goes both ways. But in any case, in, in the capital cases, uh, in virtually none of these cases are we doing to the criminal what he did to the victim. The victims invariably died much, much, much worse deaths than the, uh, than the murderer will ever face. So I know that there is some degree of mobilization against this decision. I'm sure that there will be lawsuits, <clears throat> potentially some bills will be considered. What sort of a response are you hoping to see? Uh, well, I hope that the uh, governor pays a heavy political price for this decision. Um, I'm skeptical whether any lawsuits can actually overturn this because the uh, power under the Constitution is quite broad. Uh, but I'm hoping there will be a reaction. Um, Sometimes states do amend their clemency provisions in reaction to abuse, and uh, this may be uh, a case where we actually have to amend the Constitution uh, so that this can't be done. All right. The last question uh, I want to put to you is, uh, I know that your organization uh, works with uh, victims of crimes. W what are you hearing from them this week, and uh, what, 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 are you <clears throat> what are you telling them this week uh, when you hear their concerns? Well, what I'm hearing is that they're very upset, um, some bordering on distraught, um, that they have fought so long and so hard for justice and, and been close to success only to have it taken away. Um, you know, it's a, it's a complete miscarriage of justice what the governor has done. Um, of course, I have to give them my legal opinion that there isn't anything we can do in court, um, but we'll have to decide what to do by other venues. All right. Kent Scheidegger, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. Appreciate it. You're
All right. Once again, that was Kent Scheidegger. He is the legal director for the Criminal Justice Legal Foundation. I want to bring in uh, once again to the program KCBS political reporter Doug Sovereign. Now, uh, Doug, I want to bring you back because uh, now I think is the time to jump back into the politics of all this. Uh, we heard there Scheidegger saying that he hopes the governor takes a political hit from the decision to place the moratorium on the death penalty. Based on what we know about how Californians feel about the death penalty, do you think he's going to take a hit? Not much of one. I mean, most, well, actually, no, I can't say most Californians oppose the death penalty. I don't think that's true because they haven't voted that way. But most of the people who support Gavin Newsom uh, oppose the death penalty. So a lot of Democrats are not likely to turn around and vote him out of office. He's just beginning a four-year term. Who knows what will unfold during during that term and if he'll you know win a second term. But um, you know, Republicans do hope that he takes a hit, and especially there are swing districts in the state where there are Democrats whose whose seats are not that secure, and it puts them in a difficult position where maybe many of their constituents do support the death penalty. Do they side with the governor on this or not? Although many Democrats did when he announced it, not all of them will. So there is that politically on the legislative level and on the congressional level, too. But I don't think Governor Gavin Newsom will suffer that much. He, he probably thinks he's out in front on this, as he was on same-sex marriage, and, and that maybe the nation will catch up, and this will spark a nationwide debate on this, just as he sparked one on same-sex marriage. Clearly, though, as we heard in that interview with uh, Kent Scheidegger, opposition remains uh, very strong to the governor's decision. The victims' families, many of them, quite angry about this this week. And you actually raised that issue of how the victims' families are receiving that. Uh, you raised that issue with Governor Newsom in your interview. I wanted to close out the program today with the governor's answer. So if you could set that up a little bit for us. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, there are many families of victims who oppose the death penalty and are glad he's doing this, but there are quite a few, probably a majority, who are livid. I mean, they are just furious with the governor. They feel betrayed. And I asked the governor, what do you say to those folks who feel like you've taken something away from them. They've already lost their family member. They were looking forward to this measure of justice in their minds, and now that has been taken away by you, Governor Newsom. What do you say to those people? I have a difficult time responding, because for the grace of God, go any of us. I, I, I couldn't imagine more pain. Uh, I can't be more empathetic. I can't be uh, more devastated on behalf of, of individuals that have lost the things most precious to them, their loved ones. But as I heard from other victims, do not support the death penalty. And I've met with a dozen of those. They said, only thing I really want is the thing I can never have, which is my daughter back who was killed. I heard to another mother who said this, I'll never forget it. She says, I don't want a violent act done in her name, uh, in her daughter's name. Uh, violence does not give us closure, she said. I had another family said, don't do this uh, for us. You're doing this to us if you execute uh, the person that murdered our son. It, it, it's difficult. It cuts both ways. It's raw. It's emotional. And I can only say this. Um, I cannot, absolutely cannot um, uh, deny those feelings and someone else, that someone else holds. Uh, I cannot deny or even debate the feelings of a, of a victim, a family member uh, that's lost a loved ones. I respect that. Good people could disagree on this. But here's the question I'm asked that's unique to this position. I've got to sign the death certificates. I've got to sign the action. I'm the backstop to execute 25 people that are now stacked up, ready to be executed, knowing 
that just last year someone was exonerated from death row. Had I been here a year and a half ago, that person may have already been uh, uh, executed by this state in a premeditated way, only then to wake up and find out to my horror that I've got to live for the rest of my life knowing that I signed that person to death when they were not even guilty of the crime uh, that they were incarcerated for. You've been listening to KCBS's In-Depth. Remember, you can find past episodes of the program online at kcbsradio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in for KCBS and In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. We'll see you next time. just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program for all news 740 and FM 1069 KCBS. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 